Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're all set to go against the spread on week number six of the National Football League season as we near the halfway point of the college football season as well. Victor, I can't believe how fast time is flying this football season. We're enjoying it. A lot of exciting games last week, and I'm sure we'll have a few more exciting games on tap this week. How was your week all in all, and did you enjoy watching those football games? Absolutely, Mark. A wild day. It started right at Saturday at 12 o'clock noon Sunday. Uh, this weekend was the highest scoring weekend in the NFL for the season. We had a Monday night finish for the ages, so it absolutely... Stunning and exciting weekend. And again, it started at 12 noon with our selection there in the Texas-Oklahoma game. The RRR changed to the Red River Showdown, and it probably should have uh, retained the name Shootout because it certainly was there with Texas and OU combining for, what, 1,178 offensive yards, 103 total points. The over was pretty much there. We knew that by halftime. The fact that Oklahoma was able to come back and not only win the game, but cover the point spread uh, absolutely wild and a, uh, a great start and in a very, very entertaining game to watch to boot. Yeah, to say the least. And it spilled over to the National Football League side of things as well. And that Browns-Chargers finish, you mentioned the Colts Monday Night Football game. So a lot of excitement in a lot of football from the start of college football to the end uh, final game on Monday night. We'll talk about the NFL side of things in just a moment but Victor about the college football scene this year from what we've seen so far this year uh, your take on what we've seen so far Alabama's fall from grace Mm -hmm. it seems like everybody in the world wants to jump on Alabama now that they've fallen off and they're no longer the undefeated football team they want to kick and stomp on them but uh, do you fully expect Alabama to bounce back and make it to the college football playoff well, that's another thing there. You know, uh, you know it's a big Saturday when number one uh, makes the big fall. That would be Alabama dropping from number one to number four. And nobody saw that that coming, that stunning uh, Aggies 41-38 to upset. I mean, here was a team that we were just bad-mouthing last week. They'd lost consecutive games to Arkansas, Mississippi State. They looked mediocre in their very close win against Colorado. Uh, Zach Calzada seemed to be a little bit over his head, and their defense wasn't, you know, wrecking much of anything. That's what we love about college football. You know, uh, Jimbo Fisher one week is grossly overpaid, and all of a sudden the next week uh, uh, LSU boosters are trying to come up with money to hire him next. And I would argue with you that this is easily the biggest upset of the college football playoff era, at least. It snapped Alabama's 19-game winning streak. It's 100-game streak against unranked opponents. And uh, Nick Saban's 24-game perfect run against his former assistants. Uh, The loss, they'll be okay, though. It doesn't necessarily eliminate Alabama. I don't think so. Now, uh, they got a rough uh, schedule of games coming up. And as long as they win their next six games and enter the SEC championship with an 11-1 record, 
I think a victory in Atlanta probably gets them right back into the top four, especially if they, you know, take down a number one ranked Georgia team in the process. So there'll be, you know, plenty of motivation for Alabama starting with this week's game against Mississippi State. Well, as you mentioned, win their next six football games, then that is probably in all likelihood to happen. I mean, after this, they go home for four straight home games, Mm -hmm. all winnable games, all of which they will be 20-point favorites or larger in each football contest. Then they wrap it up at Auburn, which can always be a thorn in the side for the Crimson Tide, that rivalry being what it is. But I would be stunned if Alabama is not in the SEC championship game taking on Georgia. And if they knock Georgia off in that game, they will be headed to the college football playoff. If they don't beat Georgia, the defending national champions will be home watching the college football playoff games with us, albeit in a big bowl game, but they won't make it to the football playoffs. And talking about uh, coaches and Nick Saban being who and what he is and Jimbo Fisher, we're seeing a few college football coaches now, Victor, that um, the deeper we go into the season, the more talk there is of the flames getting hotter and hotter for coaches on hot seats. Uh, And I think right at the top of the list right now is Ed Ogeron from LSU, uh, who we fully expected to be there had he not defeated or won his football game last week against Kentucky. We used LSU as a pretty good play last week, and uh, they basically no-showed in the contest. And I think that kind of drives him right up to the totem pole to the top spot in the hot seat for college football coaches. Who else do you see, Victor, that where it's getting a little bit warm these days as far as college football head coaches go? A little hotter than hot for Ed, that is definitely for sure. According to ESPN stats and information, LSU is one of only three teams from 1936 to now to go 9-7 or worse in the 16 games following a national title. So that's been the uh, fall for grace, definitely. And you mentioned uh, potential candidates for LSU. Uh, Well, we've got Scott Woodward. Uh, is significant as their athletic director, that's for sure. Uh, so who would be on the potential short list of uh, home runs for the Tigers? A guy like perhaps Oregon's Mario Cristobal. We know him from uh, down here in Florida. He's easily one of the nation's best and most relentless uh, recruiters. And, of course, he's built a top-10 program there at Oregon for its third consecutive Pac-12 title and uh, potentially first college football playoff appearance since 2014. Uh, there's a, you know another guy that's talked about more in line with the USC job, but James Franklin from Penn State. He's been mentioned as that target for USC, but uh, LSU could also go after his services. He's got a Big Ten title. He's got three top ten finishes at Penn State. So there's a possibility there. I think a little bit unrealistic thinking somebody like Lincoln Riley of Oklahoma perhaps but you never know. The Sooners are SEC bound. They could face a rocky transition. The, uh, Riley's a quarterback whisperer and offensive play caller. LSU can need, use that something like that. We just talked about Jimbo Fisher a couple of minutes ago. He's got a strong connection to Scott Woodward. Again, that athletic director there at LSU. Uh, he has no big uh, buyout in his massive contract uh, that uh, actually Woodward helped him orchestrate at A&M. And of course, He's coming off his biggest win with the Aggies. I would also suggest a name like perhaps Lane Kiffin, a cross-conference move maybe from Old Miss. At least he would work in terms of offense. He would provide the QB development and offensive fireworks that LSU had there in 2019 and kind of yearns for again. And a final name I'd throw out there, I know it doesn't make much sense, but what about Mike Gundy? He's been... Um, 
connected to the LSU job before, actually. And he's got Oklahoma State at 5-0 and and ranked number 12 in the country, thanks, of all things, to a surging defense and not a great offense. So I would suggest that there's a, a handful of four, five, six names there that uh, might leave their current school for the LSU job. Well, you mentioned Mike Gundy and uh, probably under the radar, that type of a coach. But if Oklahoma State goes on to play in the PEC or the Big 12 championship game, right away he'll vault to the top of the list. You mentioned James Franklin. Uh, all one needs to do when you check out credibility is look at what he did with Vanderbilt when he was at that program. His last three years at Vanderbilt, Franklin took the Commodores to bowl games, almost unheard of for that pro- football program, but he did just that. And the other team name that you mentioned here kind of soured me a little bit is Lane Kiffin, kind of like the uh, the big the, the main prostitute of college football coaches. He'll go wherever <laughs> the money is. You know, it doesn't matter <laughs> which what school, whatever it happens to be. He's ready. He's ready to pack his bags and move. Uh, I'd be kind of stunned to see that happen. Uh, make a move like that. But uh, you say like it's a big, big job at LSU, and uh, there'd be a lot of coaches that would be willing to leave their job to make that move over to LSU. I'm visiting with Victor King from King Creole Sports, and let's top over the National Football League side of things, Victor, and talk about where we are in the NFL. After week number five, we've got only one undefeated team right now. That's the Arizona Cardinals. And we've got other football teams that are really beginning to position themselves jockey for playoff positioning. It was quite a week in the National Football League last week. You mentioned the highest scoring week of the year. One game in particular that uh, looked like it was not going to get over, but ended up doing so and doing so comfortably was the Cleveland Brown Los Angeles Chargers football game when unbelievably uh, was it 48 points he scored in the fourth quarter. Uh, it was unreal. 208 yards, Justin Herbert threw for in that contest here. A little bit, if you will, a little bit of flag football in that fourth quarter, but uh, I think it was all set up by a poor job, an egregious job of refereeing by the by the Zebras in that football contest that kind of paved the way and opened the door for the Chargers in the game. But nonetheless, it was a great game to watch, as was the Monday night football game. Victor, your take on those two football games and how they affected the over-under totals. Well, you know, both Andy and I mentioned that we loved the under in that Chargers-Browns game last week, and uh, we weren't alone. It was a pretty sharp handicapping play. Sharp betters were on it. They're the ones who dropped the line from 49 to what it closed at, 47 points. With that said, still a outcome like that, uh, 89 points, that's, that's humbling uh, for a handicapper. And we try to learn from our losses, but an outcome like that is definitely... Uh, very, very humbling. Over 1,100 yards for these two teams combined. The fact that uh, the Browns had, what, scored 42 points, 532 yards, and had zero turnovers. You mentioned this to me this morning. They're the first team in the NFL history, including the playoffs, to lose when having either 40 points and zero turnovers or 40 points, 500 yards, and zero turnovers. Uh, what a wild finish. I'll say this, once I knew we were done for in terms of the total, I just sat back and enjoyed one heck of a game in which I kind of called the analytics bowl because you got two of the more progressive front offices and coaches in football here with uh, Stefanski and Brandon Staley with the Chargers. And they were trying to out-analytic each shelf, uh, especially in the second half of that game. I think both teams combined went four for six on fourth down. And... uh, I'm excited to see coaching like that moving forward, and I think they are going to be two of the more uh, 
uh, fun, interesting coaches to watch in the next 10 years of the NFL. It, it is, Victor, and that's kind of where National Football League head coaching is going. It was uh, said to me that Doug Peterson, when he was fired by the Philadelphia Eagles, he was fired largely because he refused to become an analytical coach. He didn't want to listen to the analytics portion of the football game. He wanted to play it by the gut. And it wasn't working. It didn't sell. And that's the reason they let him go. We're seeing the success that teams are meeting with here right now. Brandon Staley making a huge impact. It doesn't hurt to have Justin Herbert slinging the ball for you. But he's making uh, quite an impact. And uh, the guts to go for fourth down in a football game when you're trailing by 13 points and you're on your own 21-yard line in the fourth quarter, uh, that says it all. I mean, he, you know, he converts that and converts four four other or a total of four fourth downs in the football game. And that's the reason the Chargers won the football game. So tip of the hat to them and the job they're doing. And uh, uh, I'm glad that the Cleveland Browns have in front office just much the same as that, that are running that operation there because uh, it's going to end up serving Cleveland well in the long run. Victor, before we go to break, uh, how about a quick update on how favorites and dogs have fared so far in the National Football League? I know it's been a really good year for underdogs to this point in the season. Okay, uh, pretty much split down the middle last week for underdogs, seven and nine against the spread. Still, this season, 45 and 25 across the board for underdogs. Outstanding, particularly uh, the road dogs, 30 and 19 on the season at 61%. Improves to 23 and 11 for non division road dogs on the season. That is 68%, and there are three of those teams playing this particular week. We'll let you do the homework to take a look at those non-division road dogs that are hitting at 68% thus far this season. Again, I touched on the fact that it was the highest scoring week in the NFL last week. Uh, Highest average score, 50.1 points per game. The average over-under margin was plus 2.6 points per game. Uh, Ten overs, six unders. Again, uh... Five out of 16 games had 43 or more points of them. Half of the games, almost half, that is, seven had 50 or more points. So, yes, a high-scoring week. And finally, uh, in regards to that Monday night game, I didn't have any action in the game myself. Uh, In terms of the total, I did not play the over-under, and I saw uh, at halftime, I believe the score was 10-3. to So I'm basically thinking to myself, looks like I'm going to be going to bed early tonight because I don't anticipate much happening in the second half of this Monday night football game. And man, how wrong was I? What a great comeback by the Ravens in that game. They were down 22-3. They were down 27-10. The green light went on, and uh, Lamar Jackson basically went off in that particular game. Final score, 31-25 in overtime for Baltimore. An incredible comeback. A fun game to watch, definitely, uh, even though I had no action on the total. And I'll say this, you know what we're seeing here, folks? We're seeing a transformation of the Baltimore offense in progress. Part of that by necessity, part of that by maturity. The necessity being the fact that uh, their top two running backs are out for the season. In fact, the three of their top four running backs are out for the season. Perhaps that's why they're not running the ball with the regularity that they have in the last three years, the Baltimore Ravens. You know, you got some fairly old guys there in Devontae Freeman and an unproven Tyrell Williams at running back and an older um, Le'Veon Bell as well. But again, Lamar Jackson went off. And uh, to illustrate that now, the Ravens, over the last three weeks, 
have now the ninth most pass dropbacks. Again, this is unheard of for Lamar Jackson to drop back to pass this often. So you are basically seeing a little bit of a transformation here. They're throwing the ball more now in 2021 in every game script scenario when they're trailing, when the games are close, when they're leading. Again, compared to their 2020 numbers. So I think big changes continue for the Baltimore offense. Yeah, metamorphosis for that Baltimore offense is taking place right now, and uh, it's going to end up serving, I think, the Ravens well, especially if their defense can strap things back together. They had held three opponents to season-low yards before that wide-open shootout Monday night, and they're capable of doing just that, playing some pretty staunch defense. So keep an eye on just that. Don't go away. When Dick and I come back, we're going to tear apart our college football game of the week. We've got a beauty on tap this week in the Southeast Conference. We'll do that and hop into our National Football League game of the week when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. The only football newsletter in America devoted exclusively to NFL over-under totals. The totals tip sheet is a must-read if you're serious about adding extra income to your bankroll this football season. Get exclusive insight on the overs and unders from Victor King, the NFL totals guru, and enjoy the winners. You're listening to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Now, back to the action. Welcome back, everybody. Mark Lawrence along with Victor King as we go against the spread on this week's college and football cards. And it's time to hop over to the SEC side of things in college football, where the new number one ranked team, the Georgia Bulldogs, will play host to the undefeated Kentucky Wildcats. A big matchup here of cats and dogs, if you will, in the Southeast Conference. Victor, how do you see Kentucky and Georgia faring this Saturday? Not only cats and dogs, but the only matchup this week featuring uh, two teams ranked in the uh, top 20 with number one, Georgia, number 11, Kentucky. CBS, this is their big uh, afternoon game of the week. Sanford Stadium, Athens, Georgia, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time, Georgia right around a 23-point favorite. And the over-under line opened at about 44.5 points. Yeah, that that's low, and it, Hasn't moved as we're recording the podcast here on Wednesday afternoon. It's still right around 44 and a half. Uh, you might be able to find a 45 out there, maybe 45 and a half uh, if you wait uh, a day or two. But I'll get back to that in a minute. Uh, Georgia 3-3 three and three over under on the season. Average line 48.4. Average score in Georgia games 45.3. Their average game, despite a 3-3 three three over under record, have gone under by more than a field goal, minus 3.1 points per game. Uh, Kentucky's a weird team. They're four and two over under on the year. They're not this uh, offensive juggernaut how that that would lead you to believe. Average line in Kentucky games fifty two point two. Average score forty eight point five. So uh, their average game has gone under the total by three point seven points per game. What that means basically is that their overs have been extremely close, while their unders have been very very convincing this season. In regards to the series. Four of the last six meetings have gone under the total. Uh, of particular interest is the average margin in this series. The average game has gone under by uh, 11.8 points per game. Last year's meeting went under by 27 points with Georgia winning 14-3. to Two seasons ago, Georgia shut out Kentucky 21-0. to That game went under by 24 points. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be playing the under in this particular game. And I got to take a look at it from a stat angle. If I can, we know Georgia's defense is without a doubt the best in the land. They're only allowing 3.4 yards per play. Now, if they can keep that pace up for the entire season, it would be the lowest mark 
since 2011-2012 when Alabama allowed only three yards per play. In terms of uh, defensive sex success rate, the Bulldogs are number two. They top the nation in least amount of explosive plays allowed. We always look to those categories, success rate and explosive plays allowed on offense and defense when taking a look at our over-unders. We already know Kentucky offensively, it's a, it's a rush-heavy offense. They're, they're carrying the football 64% of the time, Kentucky is. And they've been successful playing that style this season. Who can blame them? They're averaging 5.8 yards per rush. With that said, they haven't been explosive at all. They're ranked outside the top 70 in both rushing and passing explosiveness. So for Kentucky, having to sustain longer drives on the ground against the number three graded run defense in the country uh, per fo- uh, pro football focus, I, I, I don't know about that, Kentucky. Good luck with that. I definitely say that. And on the flip side, you know, Georgia is not an offensive juggernaut this season either. Uh, they have zero explosiveness whatsoever. They're ranking outside the top 100 in offensive explosiveness. Kentucky, number six defense and explosive plays allowed. So uh, the game very, very likely is going to be defensive slugfest. That's why the over-under line is so low. Uh, not only that, but we always look at pace of play in terms of totals. And we've got two slow offenses here. They're both averaging only 2.04 plays per minute. That ranks 115th and 116th in the FBS. Uh, in the FBS, very slow pace of play. So yeah. Uh, now for comparison purposes, an over/under line like 44 and a half. This is like in the NFL equivalent of like 36, 37 points. It's it's very very low. I realize that if we wager on the under at such a low number and then force ourselves to watch the game on TV for three hours, we could, you know, we could be talking about a three-hour punch-in-the-gut feeling or what I call the uh, Titan Disfinctor. But that's what we're going to be doing this week. We're playing the over. I don't know if I'm going to watch the game on TV, but we're going to be playing the under, excuse me, under the current number of 44.5. We have this game finishing somewhere in the neighborhood of... 27 to 10, 27 to 14, finishing right around 40 to 41 points. I don't know if you'll make yourself sit through it, but the under is definitely the way to go. Cats and dogs to go under the total in the big Kentucky-Georgia showdown game this Saturday from Victor King from King Creole Sports. Kentucky enters into this contest a noted 5-0 fat cat. We talked about those a lot last week, 5-0 and Fat Cats. We fade the favorites. We play on the dogs. And here we'll be playing on a big dog, a 5-0 and Fat Cat dog in the Kentucky Wildcats. Kentucky is 6-1 and one to the spread. Their last seven games is a dog against undefeated Southeast Conference football teams. Mark Stoops is perhaps one of the most underrated college football head coaches in the land at Kentucky here. He ends up continually out-recruiting other schools and other coaches despite the fact that it's Kentucky a basketball school winning over college football players and we hit on this earlier that what he does him and his brother Mark Stoops I mean uh, Bob Stoops from Oklahoma formerly from Oklahoma they're from Ohio they're from Ashtabula Ohio and they hit the Ohio recruiting fertile grounds there with a fervor they go after the kids from Ohio and bring them to Kentucky and that's where Kentucky ends up winning its fair share of games in the Southeast Conference because of the recruiting that Mark Stoops does in football games. 
The last time Kentucky was 6-0 and in the football season was back in 1950. That's how nice of a job they've done thus far this football season. Both 4-0 teams are tied atop the SEC East, if you will. They're the only two undefeated teams in the entire Southeast Conference this year as well. The Georgia Bulldogs, the new number one ranked football team, own the number one defense in the country, and it is smothering. They've allowed only two offensive touchdowns all season long. And in fact, take a look against Clemson, Arkansas, Auburn, ranked football teams. They've allowed a total of 13 points has the Georgia defense. It's been that good, the Georgia defense. The last time Georgia opened up 6-0 in a football season was back in 1983 when that team went on to beat Texas in the Cotton Bowl. I'm going to side with the Kentucky Wildcats in this football game. If for no other reason, one, they're a fat cat dog, and two, new number one ranked teams tend to fall like flies in the college football poll rankings. Once that happens, it ends up, uh, it repeats itself over and over and over. A lot of pressure is on that new number one ranked team. They feel like they've climbed the mountain. They've uh, met their goals for the football season, and I don't know if they come as focused in these games as they should. Uh, This will be, uh, if you will, a game for Georgia, who has a Bigger game on tap, if you may, with next week with Florida. It's a big revenge game for the Georgia Bulldogs on tap with uh, the Florida Gators. With that, I'm going to grab up all the points with Kentucky for my side in this football game. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, we're going to tear down our NFL game of the week, and we've got a beauty between two playoff-bound football teams in the AFC. We'll do that, and we'll hop out to Vegas to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco when we're back with more here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. All new Playbucks tokens are here. Earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbucks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbucks tokens, you can use them for Playbook Experts picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbucks tokens, do so now. You're tuned into Mark Lawrence against the spread. And now, let's throw it back to Mark. Welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're going against the spread on this week's College and Pro Football Cards. And it's time for our NFL Game of the Week. And as I mentioned, a matchup of two likely playoff football teams meeting in Baltimore this week when the Ravens play host to the L.A. Chargers. Victor, this looks to be a very, very exciting football game. I don't know if they can match what the Chargers and the Ravens were all about in each of their games last week, but nonetheless, we'll be tuned in, and I'll be interested to know what you see for the over-under total in this football game. Right. You know, uh, it opened 48-and-a-half on the, you know, the uh, look-ahead line that Andy talks about a lot uh, on his segment of the show at one point was 48-and-a-half in this game. When I started working on the totals tip sheet on Monday morning, the line was 50 and a half. And of course, that was before Baltimore played their Monday night game that evening. And then on Tuesday, when I finished the totals tip sheet, it had risen to 51, in some cases, 52. There's even a couple of 52s and a half. I got lucky. I, I took a bite out of it on Monday at 50 and a half on the over. It's already bumped two points from then. And if you're going to join us in the over, you're obviously going to want to get in as soon as possible. It could easily climb to 53 or 54 points once we get to Sunday, uh, particularly knowing that a lot of the uh, hey, a lot of the betters out there they need jerk their wager based off of last week's results, right? And we just talked about what happened in the Chargers Browns game, and we just talked about what happened in the Ravens uh, Colts game on Monday night, 
And that's what the average Joe better remembers what happened the previous Sunday and the previous Monday night. And they make their wagers accordingly. That's the way things are. And I understand that. And with that said, at least we have the data here out of our database that still supports a high-scoring outcome in this game. First off, my first query, you know, I always look at these weird score games. 47 to 42 was the score of that Chargers win. NFL teams off a straight-up win in which they scored and allowed 40 or more points have gone an amazing 17-2-1 over-under since 1986. That applies to the Chargers this week. In that win, the Chargers allowed Cleveland to rush for 230 yards on the ground. Uh, if you're interested in just what happened over the last year or two, here you go. This has gone a perfect 6-0 to the over in the last two years. NFL teams off a straight-up home win in which they allowed 200 or more rushing yards. That also applies uh, for the Chargers in this particular game. Uh, we've got uh, the, the uh, Ravens, of course, playing on short rest this week after playing the Colts on Monday night. That sets up a very, very good top-notch over situation for teams who stay at home. And here you go, 16-3-1 over-under, again, out of the database, since 2012 for all NFL home favorites of seven or less points off a Monday home game. In the last three years, this situation has gone a perfect 6-0 to the over with an average combined point total of 60.3 points per game. And this game has one of those uh, west to east aspects that we've talked about now for 10 seasons in the totals tip sheet when a west time zone team travels east and plays an early time zone game in the eastern time zone that'll be this week as the game is yes i'm double checking here it's a one o'clock eastern kickoff uh so we've got that uh, cross country angle to it that is very very good when these western coast teams are taking points on the road in fact, it's gone 21-5-1 over-under since 2014. We're talking about game three or greater. West time zone road dogs of greater than a point against any east time zone opponent. And, of course, the caveat is the game must go Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern. So that applies to the Chargers in this particular game as well, a 21-5-1 over-under situation. The clincher for me... Uh, the Ravens, when hosting these games, have gone 9-1 over-under at home versus all AFC West Division opponents in the last 10 years when the over-under line is less than 55 points. This applies. I know a lot of squares will be betting the over. Unfortunately, we, we couldn't get it in at a more opportune number, but you're going to want to join us as soon as possible. Play it at the 52. Play it at the 52 and a half. It should be an entertaining game. We've got the database ammo to back us up, and Mark will be going over with the Ravens and the Chargers. Victor likes a lot of points in the Chargers-Ravens game this Sunday for his oversight in that football game. The Chargers, as I mentioned, come into this football contest of back-to-back division wins and covers, and a lot of that was uh, aided and abetted by the Zebras against Cleveland last week. I don't want to beat that horse to death, but nonetheless... uh, because it happened, the Chargers do just that. They come in here off wins and covers in each of their last two football games. And to his credit, Justin Herbert passed for 208 yards in the fourth quarter of the football game last week. 208 yards in the fourth quarter. Absolutely unbelievable. He's really, really quite a quarterback. 
They scored 43 points in the fourth quarter, did those two football teams. I mean, I know Andy Disco is going to come on, and Victor's going to talk to him a little bit about this, about the total in the football game, going from what looked like a real easy under to an unbelievable over in the game. But a lot of that occurred in the fourth quarter when these when those Chargers and Browns scored 43 combined points. Baltimore comes in here having cashed seven of the last 10 games against AFC West opponents. This will, as Victor mentions, be a 1 o'clock start for the L.A. Chargers, 10 a.m. body clock time. And what works in the football game to me is that uh, offense and defense rushing combines, it like a, fits like a glove in this football game. Baltimore, the fourth-ranked team in rushing offense in the league at 149 yards a game. The Chargers, 32nd dead last in rushing defense at 158 yards a game, favoring the Baltimore Ravens here. Uh, this comes from my database, so I'm going to close this out uh, with this and one of the reasons that I'm going to get to the Baltimore Ravens of the game. We note that teams uh, that win a game and score and allow 40 points in the contest, like the Chargers did against the Browns, they won the game, they scored 40 or more, they allowed 40 or more. Those teams are just 2-11 and 11 straight up and 3-10 and 10 to the spread. Their next game when they take on an opponent that's coming in off a win and if that opponent happens to be 750 or less for a win percentage, they are 0-7 straight up and ATS in this role since 1980. That's the hurdle the L.A. Chargers have to overcome in the football game. And with that, I'll stay at home with the Baltimore Ravens from my side in that big Sunday showdown between the Chargers and the Blackbirds. And with that, let's top out the Las Vegas to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco, who joins us on the show each and every week for one of our favorite segments. Andy, how's everything going for you in Vegas this football season? Mark, everything's been going well really since the start of the season. Had a little bit of a hiccup this past week, but looking to get back on track in uh, week number six as we are now approaching the... uh, well, we're in the second quarter of the season officially right now, which means that the uh, season's halftime is about to occur over the next few weeks around Halloween. And we have now a pretty good idea of what some of these teams can and can't do. A lot of situational handicapping, as I'm sure you know, which you follow really from the start of the season, but really comes into play uh, in the coming weeks as we start to have a lot of uh, really interesting matchups, a lot of really key matchups, both those that have occurred recently and those that will be coming up uh, this week and over the next few yeah, I love this time of the year, Andy, because uh, these football teams are beginning to uh, develop a personality and a character, and with that come the stats, and we can begin uh, trusting in what we're seeing from these football teams and start handicapping games statistically as long as uh, in addition to however else that we approach, whether it's fundamentally or statistically. So the bottom line is it makes for a nice, well-rounded handicap as we get into this stage of the football season. I'm visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, publisher of one of the finest football newsletters in the country. And Andy, I want to mention this to our listeners out there, that in your issue this week was one of my favorite segments that you do. And you hit on the fact about National Football League teams in close call games last year. And I love how you broke it down where what the teams finished the season with. And if you'd reversed those close call football games into opposite results, what their record would have been, and there are some startling observations, to say the least. If you can, explain just briefly a little bit about that, which, which is contained in your newsletter this week. 
Well, Mark, in, in generalities, what I look for or look at and, and uh, do it each year is how the results would have looked if teams that game, if games that teams won by a field goal or less or by a touchdown in overtime were reversed and they had lost those games instead. And conversely, if they had lost by a field goal or less or by a touchdown in overtime, if those losses had instead uh, been wins. And for example, and I give an example of um, the New York Giants in uh, 2016, where they were 11-5, and but four of their 11 wins were by three points or less, but just one of the five losses was by three points or less. They were involved in no overtime games. Had that close loss been a win and had those four close wins been losses, the Giants would have finished 8-8 eight and eight rather than 11-5, and five, which was a decline of three actual wins, perhaps foreshadowing their steep decline the following year from 11-5 and five to 3-13 and six to, to, excuse me, three and 13 the following year. So, so what, basically what I'm looking for, misleading records to a certain extent. Not that they weren't legitimate records, but it just shows how fine a line there is between winning and losing and how much that fine line can make a difference. Uh, one example that I'll have from uh, uh, last year uh, that could come into play this year, uh, Jacksonville was 1-15 last year, but they had no close wins. Their only win was by, I think, seven points against Indianapolis. That came in week one, and yet four of their 15 losses were by a field goal or less. So that 1-15 record, which gave them the number one draft choice, could easily have been 5-11, and 11, showing that they were maybe better than we thought at the uh, end of last year or after last season, and perhaps that foreshadows some improvement this year. Now, we haven't seen it yet, although Jacksonville is becoming more competitive. They nearly uh, won a game at uh, Cincinnati uh, Thursday night ago, and now let's see what happens uh, when uh, th- a week ago, Thursday night, let's see what happens uh, against Miami this week over in London, where they will be facing a struggling Dolphins team, and yet coming off of their loss at Tennessee, which in, in which they were uh, competitive, let's see if Jacksonville continues a little bit of the progress. I think the situation regarding Urban Meyer, there's enough time that has passed. That probably should not affect them this week as much as it appeared to affect them somewhat last week. Keen insight coming from Andy Isco, the publisher of TheLogicalApproach.com football newsletter. I advise you to get a copy in your hands in time for this weekend's football games. All you need to do is log on at TheLogicalApproach.com to score your copy of Andy's terrific football newsletter. Andy, with that, I know there's a lot going on in the contests in Las Vegas each and every week as we do with you each and every week. We check out the results and see how things are going in the contest. If you would, bring our listeners up to speed on what's going on in the two big contests of the Superbook and the Circa. Sure. Actually, you're you're right. There are two big contests at each of those two properties. Let's start with the uh, the granddaddy of them all, the Westgate Super Contest Classic, uh, very much like the Circa Millions, which is in its third season in both contests. Uh, you pick five NFL games against the point spread. Uh, the point spread is set in the case of the Westgate Wednesday afternoon specific time around 5 p.m. for the Circa about 10 a.m. on a Thursday morning. Not a huge difference between the lines, but on occasion there is news that does break in the uh, uh, 15, 16 hours between the time that those lines are released. But for the most part, the lines are within a half point and more often than not identical. Uh, what people like to look at is how the top five selections, in other words, the five most popular selections perform in the contest. And so looking last week at the Super Contest Classic, the uh, consensus coming in was just 9 and 11 
against the point spread, but they had performed better of late. And last week, the top consensus play in the uh, Westgate Super Contest was actually a loser. 553 contestants had the San Francisco 49ers plus the points. They came up short in Arizona. The L.A. Chargers were the second most popular pick, not that far behind at 535 contestants. That was a point spread winner, as was the number three selection Buffalo, the number four selection uh, Tennessee, and the number five selection just behind Tennessee was in that uh, battle of missed field goals between Cincinnati and Green Bay. In fact, Cincinnati indeed was the number five selection. Green Bay was the number six selection. But looking at just the top five, that game ended up in a point spread push. The contest line was three, even by kickoff. The Packers had slipped to a two-point favorite. So depending upon when you played that game out of pocket, you could have won, you could have lost, you could have pushed. So the consensus last week, 3-1-1, one, and one, and that brings the season record in the Westgate Super Contest Classic up to 12-12-1 for the season. In the Super Contest Gold, the contestants were on Cincinnati as the most popular pick. That was a push. Kansas City and San Francisco, the number two and three choices, were both losing picks against the spread. The L.A. Chargers and Philadelphia Eagles both covered their game, so last week's consensus was 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. It had been 10-10-1 the previous four weeks. There's 21 games because in one of those four weeks, the two teams tied for the fifth most popular selection. Only 87 contestants in that $5,000 winner take all uh, contest super contest gold for the season that contest that contest is now 12 12 and uh, and one and in fact uh, let me misspeak a little bit 12 uh looks like you know 12 12 well, there must be a little something i did wrong in the uh, my math i think was a little bad in the uh, of, uh in the super contest gold so i'll have to go back and check that uh, uh from last week uh, as a matter of fact 12 12 and 2 is the correct number I, that's the reason for the push anyway getting to the standings for the two contests in the super contest classic one contestant has a record of 20 winners four losers and one push for a total of 20 and a half out of a possible 25 points points five weeks into the season two contestants a half point behind at 20 two more contestants at 19 and a half and going down in half uh, point uh, increments 13 5 20 24 42 and 51 at 16 and a half points uh, which is still very good that's 66 percent on the season so you're looking at roughly 160 plus contestants hitting at 66 percent uh, or better with slightly under 2,000 entries uh, in the uh, second mini contest of the Westgate, they have six mini contests that want, run three weeks each, uh, three six-week contests. We're in the second mini contest. Uh, weeks four and five have already been played. This week will determine uh, the uh, the winner of uh, the second uh, uh, three-week contest. Two contestants have a nine and a half out of a possible ten points. Fourteen more are at nine, and eleven are at eight and a half. I was not able to verify the record for the uh, the uh, six-week contest of which uh, two weeks, uh, excuse me, also one week uh, uh, remains, week number six. Uh, looking at Super Contest Gold, uh, not quite as uh, strong a performance as in the regular Super Contest Classic. One leader, 17, 7, and 1. That's 17 and a half out of a possible uh, 25 uh, points, and that works out to 70%. Three contestants at 17, another two are at 16 and a half. Similar number two at 16, four at 15 and a half, and six at 15. 
15 out of 25 is exactly 60%. So 18, uh, excuse me, 17 of the 87 contestants are hitting at 60% of better uh, in the uh, Super Contest uh, uh, Gold. Uh, looking now at the uh, two contests in the Circa Contest, uh, the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor. 4,080 entrants, uh, 87 entrants were in the Circa Million. That's the one that carries a guaranteed $1 million prize for the overall season winner. Uh, thus far, there's one contestant at 22 and 3. That's 22 out of a possible 25 points. That works out to 88% winners through four weeks, uh, through five weeks of the season. Excuse me, five weeks of the season. One contestant, a half point back at 21 and a half. There are three at 21, two others at 20 and a half. So we can see the field thinning out a little bit, uh, barely a quarter of the way into the season. Nine are at 20. Uh, there were 16 at 19 and a half, 37 at 19. And then we start uh, 32 at 18 and a half, and then 69 are at 18. So that's quite a number of folks uh, hitting at uh, uh, 72% or better. That's 18 out of uh, 25. The second uh, quarter contest, uh, which I believe covers weeks 5 through 9, I think it's actually a four-week contest. Quarter 1 was 1 through 4, then I think it's 5 through 9, then they do 4 and 5 after that. 52 contestants were a perfect 5-0 and last week. That compares to 96 contestants who were perfect in week 1. However, 96 contestants, ironically enough, 4-0-1 last week, and another 317 at 4-1. and one. So that works out the 465 contestants in the first week of the second quarter of Circa Million uh, are hitting at uh, 80% or better, 4-1 and one or better. Last week, the uh, consensus in the Circa Million had been 12-8 and eight going into uh, week number 5, so that's a solid 60%. Last week, the top selection, the Carolina Panthers with 1,158 contestants. That's a little bit more than a quarter of the field. In fact, I'll just mention that the top five selections were each picked by more than a thousand contestants. So, uh, of the five selections, the top five were picked by roughly 25%, a little bit more, a little bit less in some cases, of the entire uh, entry uh, pool. Uh, the number one team, Carolina, uh, they failed to cover in their game against the Eagles, as did the number two uh, top play, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, failing to cover in their game uh, at Arizona. However, the number three selection, Tennessee, was a point spread winner, as was the the number four selection, the Los Angeles Chargers at uh, uh, number four. They covered with 1,024 uh, picks. And the number five selection on Sunday night, the Buffalo Bills. Also a very somewhat, maybe somewhat of a surprising selection considering it's plus, it was plus two and a half in the contest. But a lot of us liked Buffalo to win the game outright and were rewarded with a straight up and a point spread win. So the consensus right on pace with that 12 and eight mark going three and two. So that's 15 and 10, 60% for the season. Turning to the Survivor, there was a big whew let out at, a, at the end of a couple of games this past week. 4,080 contestants entered at $1,000 each. You pick one game a week straight up. Once you pick a team, you cannot lose. You cannot use them again. You're in until one of your selections uh, loses. 2,333 contestants remained alive going into week number five, uh, but they held on for dear life because more than half the field 
were on the Minnesota Vikings. 1,343 contestants were on the Vikings who were extremely fortunate to end up winning the game despite the fact that they led Detroit virtually wire to wire but for the last half minute and some kicking heroics from the kicker who missed a win a few weeks earlier at uh, Arizona in a very similar situation. Another 443 contestants saw New England come back against Houston, so they survived as well. Monday night, another late comeback. In fact, it went to overtime with Baltimore and their 253 contestants uh, getting the straight-up win. The fourth most popular selection also was a winner with Tampa Bay and their 150 rocking chair uh, winners because that was a pretty easy one for Tampa Bay in their game against Miami. The teams eliminated last week. 54 contestants were eliminated with the Raiders. Six were eliminated with the Carolina Panthers. One apiece on the Cincinnati Bengals and the New York Jets. And three were eliminated because they failed to turn in a selection. We've had several of those thus far this year. So 60, 62 contestants lost on their pick plus another three lost because they didn't submit a pick. So the 65 uh, people eliminated brings down the number of remaining contestants to 2,000 268. That's 55.6% of the uh, original 4,080 entrants, meaning that not quite half the field has been eliminated yet, but more than half the field would have been eliminated uh, had Minnesota not survived uh, in their in their game. In fact, had Minnesota uh, not survived, you would have had barely under 1,000 contestants remaining. But uh, those of us who did have Minnesota, or Baltimore for that matter, and to a lesser extent New England, all survive to pick other teams this coming week, week number six. Andy Isco with a review of the major goings-on on the major contest in Las Vegas from this past week. And Andy, if you would, uh, I'd like to, you can, if you can share some of the look-ahead lines that our listeners have become accustomed to and what you're seeing on tap this week. Okay, let's take a look at the uh, lines for week seven. This is Thursday, October 7th, uh, excuse me, October 21st. Denver will be at Cleveland and currently Cleveland. These these lines are actually able to be bet, so they're not look-ahead lines for guidelines. These are actual lines that you can compare to the uh, uh, to the betting lines as they exist uh, or when they come out and exist next week, beginning on Sunday. Cleveland favored by six. The total in that game against Denver is 44. Sunday, October 24th, Cincinnati will be at Baltimore. The Ravens favored by six and a half with a total of 48. Carolina is favored by three at the New York Giants with a total of 45. Green Bay, a seven-and-a-half point home favorite against the Washington football team with a total of 50. Kansas City on the road at Tennessee, favored by three with a total of 56-and-a-half. Some might say Kansas City uh, is not playing Buffalo this week, but three, a very manageable number right now. I wouldn't be surprised if that one goes up, but let's see what happens this week uh, with uh, Tennessee having a tough game on uh, Monday night and uh, Kansas City uh, looking to... Uh, uh, bounce back. Atlanta at Miami, the Dolphins favored by two and a half. Uh, they total at 48. Note that both Atlanta and Miami will be coming off buys uh, this week. Uh, the New York Jets will also be coming off of their bye week. They will be in New England where the Patriots are favored by seven. Total 43 and a half. And this is a rematch of an early season game that the Patriots won at the Meadowlands uh, 25 to 6 as I recall. Uh, Detroit will be at the LA Rams. Rams 13, hefty 13 
13.5-point home favorites with a total of 49.5. The Las Vegas Raiders uh, with their uh, new coach, 2.5-point uh, home favorite over the visiting Philadelphia Eagles with a total of 48.5. The Chicago Bears uh, will be at Tampa Bay where the defending Super Bowl champs are 10-point home favorites with a total of 49. Houston will be at Arizona where the Cardinals, the unbeaten, the lone unbeaten Arizona Cardinals, 14.5-point home favorites with a total of 49.5. The Sunday night game, Indianapolis at San Francisco. The 49ers favored by 5.5 with a total of 44.5. Remember, these are the games for Week 7, not this coming weekend. And the Monday night game on October 25th, New Orleans, uh, they will be uh, uh, coming off of, uh, of a bye as well. Uh, they are three-point road favorites at Seattle with a total of 43.5. Looking at some of the uh, the line moves, Tampa Bay last week was a six and a half point road favorite at Philadelphia for the game being played uh, this Thursday night. That game is, in some places, it's still at six and a half. Uh, at other places, uh, it has gone up to seven, and we'll see if there's any additional movement as we uh, approach kickoff. Uh, on Thursday evening. Looking at the games for Sunday, October 17th, the London game, uh, Miami and Jacksonville will get together. Uh, Slight change in this one, but it is uh, affecting a key number. Uh, Miami and Jacksonville in London. Miami opened a a two-and-a-half-point neutral site favorite. They have been bet up and over the three to where for almost all places, at least certainly ones I'm I'm, uh, uh, viewing here in uh, Nevada, uh, three-and-a-half-point favorites at the... um, uh, Jacksonville, uh, well, at London to face uh, uh, Jacksonville. A couple of other games that uh, are of, of note. Mentioned Kansas City will be at Washington. Washington uh, struggling last week uh, in their game uh, at, at home uh, the uh, against New Orleans. Kansas City, and th- that game was uh, was decided, I think, by that Jameis Winston Hail Mary pass at the half that I think shook up Washington. Kansas City uh, had opened a five-and-a-half point uh, road favorite at Washington, and of of course, they lost on uh, uh, Sunday night. They are now up to six and a half, and I see actually one or two sevens out there uh, in their game at uh, uh, Washington. Uh, the Chargers at Baltimore, no real movement there, although we are starting to see some threes appear. In fact, almost all threes right now. This game had Baltimore uh, open uh, at three. It had been down to two, so we have seen some movement over the last few days at uh, uh, at the sportsbooks uh, favoring the Baltimore Ravens against the Red Hot uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, this one, I think, is a movement largely due to the performance of these teams, but also to the injuries on the New York Giants. Los Angeles Rams were six-and-a-half-point road favorites uh, when these lines came out a week ago uh, 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 last Tuesday, uh, they uh, now are uh, up to nine and a half, had been as high as 10 point uh, road favorites at the Giants. The total down a tick from 50 to as low as 48 and a half uh, in, in some venues. Uh, Cleveland, a three point home favorite when it opened. Uh, there has been there had been some support for Arizona that lowered it to two and a half, uh, but it's now back up to a three point uh, home favorite. Uh, the Denver Broncos, another team where we have seen a key number cross much like in the Miami-Jacksonville game. Uh, The uh, Broncos were two-and-a-half-point home favorites against the Raiders a week ago. Uh, Both teams lost this week. One of the two lost their coach. That would be the visiting Raiders. Denver, as a result, up to a a three-and-a-half-point home favorite against their uh, division rivals. Uh, Dallas uh, at New England. Dallas with a third straight impressive performance 
they had opened a, after their first two impressive performances. They had opened as one-point road favorites at New England, and of course their dominating win against the Giants, the third straight performance. I'll note that all three performances did come at home. Uh, they have uh, been bet up, or actually opened and been, and continue to be bet up to a four-point road favorite at uh, at New England. Uh, Seattle. This one is explained with the Russell Wilson injury. Seattle had been a two and a half point road favorite, so we can't really read much into how much of this is an adjustment to the line and how much of it is an actual adjustment to uh, Russell Wilson uh, being replaced by Geno Smith. Uh, some people say the adjustment favoring Pittsburgh may not be enough if they've watched Geno Smith throughout his career. Nonetheless, uh, Pittsburgh a uh, five-point uh, home favorite, so a huge move of over a touchdown. Much of that uh, obviously related to the injury to um, uh, to uh, uh, Russell Wilson of Seattle. Uh, the Monday night game, which has Buffalo at Tennessee and a very difficult or challenging spot for Buffalo. This is an interesting game because before the game was played, we knew Buffalo would be coming into the Monday night's game at Tennessee, either ecstatic over finally beating the Kansas City Chiefs or downtrodden after losing to them once again. So we want to monitor their their uh, their mindset. Uh, the advance line did have Buffalo a two-and-a-half-point road favorite at Tennessee, and perhaps the lines makers were thinking uh, the similar similar way. We know Buffalo is coming off an impressive performance, and we know they're the better team, so they did have to make an adjustment. Did they make too much of an adjustment? Perhaps not enough. The line is five-and-a-half, that nowhere's land where will it dip down towards three, will it move towards three or four, or will it move up to six and seven? We'll have to wait and see the sentiment on what should be a very intriguing matchup this coming Monday night with Buffalo at Tennessee. Andy Isco with the look-ahead lines from Las Vegas as we head into this football weekend. And Andy, before I get to your complimentary play, Victor, I know you want to run something by Andy with regard to John Gruden and some of his thoughts that way. Definitely. You know, Andy's there. He's got his feet on the ground. I'm sure he has an opinion. Uh, Andy, my two cents worth, it's the biggest story of the week, obviously, but there's a bitter irony here uh, with Gruden becoming the focal point of a controversy over uh, racism, intolerance, and pro football. The irony is that the Raiders' identity is built on being one of the most racially progressive and inclusive teams in the NFL. The silver and black has always been about the full rainbow, if you know what I mean. The Raiders were practicing diversity and inclusion before those words became commonly used terms like they are today. They were the first team in the modern NFL to hire a black head coach. They were the first team to hire a Latino head coach, Tom Flores. They were the first team to hire a woman chief executive, Amy Trask, in 1997. They even broke the field, broke ground on the field as well as all off the field. I mean, first team to start a Latino quarterback, Tom Flores, Jim Plunkett, a Mexican-American, led the Raiders to two world titles. Uh, even Carl Nassib, the, the current Raiders defensive end, earlier this year became the first active player in league history to announce he's gay. How, how do you think he's feeling right now? How do you think Al Davis is feeling right now? Is he rolling around in his grave? He was a civil rights pioneer on the gridiron. In the 1960s, he refused to allow his team to play in cities where white and black players were required to stay in separate hotels. Again, how do you think he's feeling right now? Gruden's emails weren't just embarrassing. They dishonored the legacy of the franchise that he inherited as the head coach. 
I'm sure you have some thoughts or at least some uh, news on what they're feeling right out there on the ground in Vegas, Andy. Well, I think, Victor, everybody agrees that John Gruden had to for lack of, be let go, although it was done through a resignation. And I think everybody was really somewhat shocked on two fronts. Number one, that he held those views. And number two, that he expressed them in uh, in the manner that he did uh, the, with, with the emails. Uh, there's no excusing the way he feels, even if, even if he had done it uh, in a private conversation with his buddies, you know, sipping a beer or something. It's still wrong. It's just that we might not have known about it. So in many respects, the way it was uh, uncovered uh, revealed exactly what was going on. It is uh, surprising to hear that someone associated with the Raiders, who uh, you use the, the words or the phrase uh, ahead of the curve or something along those lines. Yeah, right. they have always been a very progressive organization dating way, way back, as you point out, into the 60s and 70s uh, to, uh, to, to advance equality and equal opportunity uh, when uh, uh, before it was a focal point throughout uh, not just football, but throughout society as well. So I think overall, the uh, there is disappointment, but I th- I'm sensing that disappointment is that we've learned what John Gruden's true feelings were, as opposed to the fact that he had to be relieved of his duties as uh, as uh, as head coach. So I think that mm-hmm. uh, the the behavior is is uh, indefensible. It's reprehensible. Uh, and it's cost someone, uh, you know, his career, uh, certainly uh, in football. I mean, he made the, a lot of the, these emails during the time that he was no longer coaching, but was affiliated with the NFL through his appearances on ESPN. So I think there is a mixture of disgust, a mixture of surprise, certainly a huge amount of, uh, of disappointment uh, with, uh, with the events of the past few days. And yet, all around, I think that uh, it's a good thing that it came to light, because if it hadn't come to light, those feelings would have still been there, but they would have been uh, hidden. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. We've got a little bit of an inside view about what's going on in Las Vegas with regard to the John Gruden situation, in addition to all the other checkpoints that Andy shares with us each and every week. And Andy, before I let you go, I know our listeners want to know what your complimentary play on the card is this week. I know you you suffered a tough beat in the under call last week, as did Victor. I know the two of you talked about that and liked that in the Chargers game last week. We'll see if we can. We had that one all the way, and then they played the national anthem. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Andy was seven to three after one quarter. <laughs> it was looking good, but there was still a sense that uh, I'm not quite sure the defenses were a little bit permissive. But uh, by the way, Mark, I wanted to bring up something and ask you a question that you may have researched that might be of, of interest to the listeners. And, we're t- and I heard you earlier with Brian Blessing today talking about the Raiders and the interim coach situations. And you mentioned that interim coaches have generally not fared well. What I was wondering is, is there a breakdown that you might have done between well, first of all, in the first game and then throughout the remainder of their interim uh, period during the, the, whatever the current season was that they took over. But also, more importantly, and I think this is where there may be some value if there is any uh, significant findings, 
The difference between an interim coach with no head coaching experience versus interim coaches who have had prior uh, coaching experience because being a head coach is a tremendous task. And if you've just been assigned that with basically no warning, you may be uh, a little bit behind the curve. And you would think, at least in that situation, that those interim coaches might have some difficulty moving up and stepping into the head coach's shoes, whereas head coaches who have had previous NFL head coaching experience, or maybe even at the college level, but let's keep it at the NFL level, that those head coaches might be able to easily walk into the head coach's shoes, be totally familiar with the responsibilities, how you delegate things, how you prepare, etc. Have you noticed or have you been able to research any difference between those two different classes of head coaches? Well, that's a great question, Andy. And uh, let me say this, first of all, that uh, interim coaches do tend to struggle for the reasons I mentioned with Brian, that uh, they're like a substitute teacher. They don't get 100% of the effort and the focus from the football team itself. And in the end, they ultimately know they're going to be replaced. So they're kind of steering a, a wild ship in that sense. But they do fare well in game number one, I will say that. Uh, now, whether it's because the coach was fired because the players didn't like him and they're going to play a little bit harder, a little bit better without him, it remains to be seen. Uh, but as far as, and you bring out a really, really good point, who is the interim coach? Is he experienced? Has he been an NFL coach before? Or is this his first time calling, uh, being the boss on the sidelines? My database can't separate the difference between those two, but I have to agree with you. I would think an interim coach that has had previous head coaching experience would fare much better and have a better command of his football team than an interim coach that's never been there before, similar to what's going on in with the Raiders with their new interim coach being the special teams coach, his first time up at bat, if you will. That's a great question. I'm going to turn to the game this week. I'm going to be stubborn and go with another total. I'm going to play the total under, and it's the game between uh, the Rams and the Giants. I mentioned earlier that there are severe injury concerns uh, with the Giants, which is why we saw that line be adjusted by more than a field goal from where the Rams were favored a week ago uh, before week uh, uh, weeks, uh, week five's games uh, for the games in week seven. I think that uh, we know that the Rams are one of the best defensive teams in football, and I think the Giants are going to have some difficulty moving the football on a sustained basis against the Rams. I would imagine they're going to use a short passing game in addition to trying to establish whatever kind of running game they can to shorten the number of possessions that each team has in the games. Now, I thought that that was the uh, case uh, last week with the Chargers uh, and the uh, Cleveland Browns, but it got a little bit out of hand. Uh, once we got into the second and uh, and third quarters, I this is a game we know that the Rams have a great amount of offense, and I would almost think that it's very tempting to lay the points with the Rams uh, in a game in where they have really all the advantages, and certainly now on both sides of the football. But I think the Giants might be come into play here. They know their best chance to win is to keep it close, and they're going to have to keep it close with their defense and a, and a, and a uh, let's call it a methodical offense. How long they can do that, I'm not sure. But I can't see the Giants putting up, say, 20, 20, you know, 20, 25 points on the Rams barring turnovers. I could see the Rams in the 30s. Uh, maybe we see a score like 31-13, 31-10, maybe 28-16 uh, to 16 or something like that if the Rams are successful, especially on third down, and forcing the Giants when they do have opportunities to have to settle for field goals uh, as opposed to uh, uh, touchdowns. And I think the Giants also will struggle uh, in the red zone if they have that opportunity. So I'm going to look for the uh, game between the uh, Giants and the Rams 
Rams to stay under the total, uh, which I'm currently showing pretty much as a uh, solid uh, 49, couple of 48 and a half, but mostly 49, which I think is a generous number uh, given the fact that the Giants really have to make some key adjustments in a relatively short period of time. Uh, just when uh, uh, when they were starting to get some good play out of their offense, I think they, t- they take a step or two back this week. And he goes under the total in the Giants-Rams game this particular week for his complimentary play on the show. I know we went a little bit longer than usual with Andy this week, but we got a lot of great insight, as we always do, from Las Vegas compliments of Andy Isco. I want to encourage our listeners to check out his weekly newsletter at thelogicalapproach.com just in time for the football weekend. Andy, until next week, I'm going to hope the ball bounces your way this week. Best of luck to you, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, Mark. And over the next week, I will do some research on Reader's Digest and learn how to uh, condense things a little bit. Uh, But in the meantime, I'll also wish everybody a very successful and enjoyable weekend. Thank you. That was Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I are going to put the final wraps on the show with our awesome angle of the week and complimentary plays from both myself and Victor when we're back with the final segment here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. If you haven't seen Andy Isco's The Logical Approach Football Newsletter, then you owe it to yourself to download this week's newsletter in time for the football games this week. Check out the new issue every week at TheLogicalApproach.com. See what winning football information is all about at TheLogicalApproach.com. We're going against the spread with Mark Lawrence after this. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need, guaranteed. That's mybookie.a as in Apple and G as in Games. Tell them Mark Lawrence sent you. Only the biggest. Only the best. Only at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. To put a final spin on this week's show, let's do what Mark does best, his awesome Awesome. angle of the week. Okay, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle this week called simply Fat Cat Favorites, and we've been talking about them the past two weeks. we got another one on tap this week, and what we do is play against any 5-0 college football conference favorite of seven or more points in Game 6, who's coming off a straight-up and point-spread win if they're taking on a 600 or better opponent it's coming off a win. We fade these 5-0 conference fat cat favorites of seven or more points in game six because we've gone 25-7 and seven against the spread since 1980 doing just that. That's a 78% awesome angle. And with that, we'll be fading the Cincinnati Bearcats when they take on Central Florida this Saturday in college football. And Victor, I'm going to hand it off to you for your complimentary play and let our listeners know, if you would, what you've got on tap at King Creel Sports this week. Sure can. You know, last week at our NFL segment, we covered the Giants at the Dallas Cowboys game, and uh, we uh, let Tuco take the ball, and we went with Dallas to go over their team total of 30 points in that particular game. And they sure did that. 515 offensive yards for Dallas, uh, 44 points in the game for the Giants. Tuco was a very happy camper. In fact, uh, after Dallas hooked up that 44 points at the end of the game, he was shouting through the house, how about them Cowboys? And he loves his Dallas Cowboys. This week, in fact, for the first time ever, 
Tuco and King were going to be tag teaming a game in the NFL, you know, like a couple of wrestlers. So I'm stepping out the ring and I'm touching Tuco on the paw and he's coming into the wrestling ring right now. And in this case, he's going with the LA Chargers to go over their team total of 24 points. We're already playing the over in the game. We're also playing the over for the Chargers. Again, over 24 points. You know, this is not your typical strong Ravens defense that you are used to. Again, maybe that has to do with that transformation of Baltimore. They're now ranked number 24 in the league, and they're allowing 390 yards per game. Not only that, but 30 points per game in their home games this season. With Baltimore on short rest off a Monday game, we note that non-division home teams off a Monday game have allowed 29.0 points per game. Uh, A team trend tells us that Baltimore has allowed 30 points per game playing at home off a Monday game. So we got a situation that applies to the league that looks good and one where we target Baltimore specifically that looks good. In the last 10 years of play, the Ravens have allowed 27.8 points per game at home against all AFC West Division opponents. We talked about the Chargers offense in our NFL segment and how uh, hot they really are these days. 28.4 points per game, 411 yards per game. Number six scoring team in the league. Here you go. Underdogs of five or less who scored 40 or more points in the last game have averaged 28.3 points per game in the last three seasons. That applies to the Chargers. We've got the West Coast to East Coast angle that I covered in the NFL segment. West time zone teams have averaged 27.2 points per game on the road against any East time zone opponent. Finally, in this series, the Chargers have averaged 26.8 points per game as regular season dogs against the Ravens. So here you go. We're tag teaming it. We're playing the game over. Tuco is playing the Chargers to go over their team total of 24 points. As far as the website, don't forget your issues of the Playbook Newsletter, Total's Tip Sheet Newsletter, Midweek Alert Newsletter. We've already have a, we have a selection online at uh, playbooksports.com for the Thursday night NFL game. You can get that already. It's available again on the website from our King Creole service. And on Sunday we got our triple play of overs. You're going to want to check that out also on Friday night. But again, your free play Tuco going over 24 to combine with our game over the total of 52. Victor's tag team over the Chargers on the team with Tuco and the game itself over the total for his complimentary plays on the show this week. And before I get to my complimentary play, a quick note that our friends at mybookie.ag are once again offering a double first deposit offer. All you need to do is log on to mybookie.ag and use the promo code playbook to get your double first deposit at mybookie.ag. And a quick note that my Weekend fan appreciation weekend of winners, both football and Major League Baseball playoffs, is rolling this weekend for only $79. You can get every football, college, NFL, and Major League Baseball release I make from Saturday through Monday. We are 4-0 and in the Major League Baseball playoffs to start the playoffs this season. 22-8 and documented in college and pro football this far this football season. And this fan appreciation weekend will include my college football false favorite play of the month. Get it all for just $79 online at playbooksports.com or give the office a call toll-free to hop on board at 1-800-321-7777. 
With that, my complimentary play on the football card this weekend comes directly from our Red Hot Playbook football newsletter, which is, by the way, 24-8-1 overall on best bets thus far this football season. In the Playbook football newsletter, our upset special of the week is my complimentary play on the show this week as we use the Miami of Florida Hurricanes plus the points against North Carolina this week. This football game, yes, Miami does lose their quarterback, Derek King, for the season, but he has not been a factor at all for this offense thus far this football season. His backup, Tyler Van Dyke, will play instead. Van Dyke was 25 of 41 for 473 yards and four touchdowns thus far this football season with no picks. The motivating factor in the football game is the loss that Miami suffered last year, 62 to 26 to North Carolina in that football game. North Carolina put up 778 yards of offense, including 554 yards on the ground. They were also bad-mouthing Miami all throughout the football game. This is a football game Miami will want in the worst of way, and with that, we'll take the points with Miami over North Carolina for a complimentary play on the card this Saturday. And that puts the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports, our good friend Andy Isco from Las Vegas joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com. And until next week, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.